So what are we waiting on? I guess I'll do. You're next. You, I guess you, you did just it put it. your flask there just now? I have no idea what Joe did, but I'm moving on with my life. I don't know. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, we have one minute to find out who's hiding a furry secret in Paranoia. Next, we travel inside the human body and put those carbs to work in Cytosis. And lastly, we take a gamble to seize the hottest properties on the Strip in Lords of Vegas. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Hi, I'm Evan Bernstein. And is that a picnic basket? Hi, I'm Ed Povolitis. Sometimes you get to beat a bear. Other times the bear gets you. I'm Joe Unfried, and I took the stage direction, Exit Pursued by a Bear. Very serious. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and I'm happy with the simple bear necessities. <laughs> Hi, everyone. We wanted to give a quick thank you so much for listening this year and helping us grow. We have one itty-bitty tiny request. Please bear with us. If you have a minute to like, subscribe, or share this show anywhere when you're online, that word of mouth is the hugest way we grow. Please just take a second. Thanks so much. Our first game up this week is Baranoia, designed by Jasmine Davis and Pete Butler, published by Prettiest Princess Games in 2015. Number players 3 to 15. Playtime, one minute. Okay, when we found this while lost in the woods, what were our first thoughts? Ed? You'd think it would be easy to pick a bear out of a lineup, no? Evan? The box says it's a game of vigilante justice. Wow, that sounds a lot more serious than it looks. Mike? Well, if I hate this, at least it'll be over in a minute. <laughs> Joe? Bear, I want you far from me. And I'm really not as cool as I'd like to be. There's a cultist under the bed. And suspicion's running right through my head. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Only 60 seconds per game? That's barely enough time to enjoy. But before we grin and bear the puns that are oh. sure to come, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Baranoia, you've just arrived at your first day of camp, but there's a problem. One of you is a bear. The campers will win if they kill the bear. Now, the bear will win if somebody else is killed or if the 60-second timer runs out. And then there's the bear cultists. The bear cultists want to martyr themselves, and all of them win if one of them gets killed before time expires. Remember, bears can't talk. They can only growl and stuff like that. So identifying the bear will be easy, or rather, it would be easy if it weren't for those stupid cultists gumming up the works. Boy, we picked a weird place to go camping. I know. Yeah, we sure did. Cultists and bears. Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it is a 60-second game. But not a 60-second review. This game is considered a social deduction game. What do you think, guys? Is there enough strategy here to call it that? Deduction? Well, I, I agree with the social part. 
Yeah, I, I think that um, there's so little time to deduce anything that you kind of need to rely on your charisma to spark up that mob rule. A little bit like Donner Dinner Party in that way. Uh, I mean, part of the fun of games like that is trying to rouse a rabble and start passing out torches. String up somebody. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Yeah. I want to hang you. <laughs> pointing fingers. This is the game of pointing fingers. That's for sure. And just how fast it can backfire. you know? <laughs> yes, which is why these pointing fingers games is a type of game that I'm a little reluctant to bring to the table when I have kids with me. I wonder a little bit about the spirit of these types of games. Online, you can see this game being played in, say, the bar or something like that. I think that's a better location for it. Even though the art of the game is fun and funny and sort of cartoonish, uh, I don't think I'd lay it out here with my kids. The art style is very cute, and it does get you in the right mood for the game, because it is, I think, intended to be a light and silly game. Yeah, you mean it wasn't, they didn't mean to get serious about the bear cultists. and Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, cultists were meant to be tongue-in-cheek here. <laughs> um, and they were, for the most part. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if there was an easier term they could have used for, you know, bear fans. Uh, bear devotees, bear, uh... <laughs> bear enthusiast. <laughs> and how and how come everybody's always hunting out our furry friends? I mean, it's either a werewolf or a bear. Everybody's trying to shoot them and kill them. Poor guys. Yeah. <laughs> what what did bears or or werewolves ever do to anybody? <laughs> One of the things that makes it complicated to actually figure out who the bear is, as we kind of said in the intro is uh, that all of the cultists actually can just growl if they want to. But that's a little bit too obvious, so maybe they're a cultist. Can you say a regular word in a cultist-like growl? So, hey, are you a cultist? <laughs> no, I'm not. Go. I'm a cultist. I'm a cultist. Kill me. Are you a cultist? Yes. <laughs> totally 100% cultist. Point at me. I'm a cultist. I remember one time I got the talking bear card, so even that was kind of fell off. Hey, he can talk. He must not be the bear. The special ability of the card is not something that's normally brought in unless you play with the optional rule. What do you guys think of the optional rule? Can you really play this game without it? Are you asking if it should be optional or should be the main rule? I think it matters what age group you're playing with, maybe. Like, if, you know, new players or younger kids play it, I think... Adding the optional rules in later might be better, but for people who have played Werewolf before or just are gamers or, you know, want a little deeper of an experience, I think starting off right away with the quote-unquote optional rules is the better bet. I, I think the optional rules add quite a bit, actually, because the, you know, with, with the 60-second timer, uh, you're probably going to play the game multiple times in a sitting. If you play the game 10 times, each game will you know, will still seem fresh. It won't be the same thing over and over again. Yeah. I think part of the issue now, whether to use the optional rules depends on the experience of the players. If you're playing with people who are basically non-gamers rather than just you know, young people necessarily, I think you might want to just ease them into the very basic rules just so they get the gist of what the game's about before you're throwing that little extra complexity that us gamers might want to have for that depth. I think the extra complexity was, yeah, key to my enjoyment of the game. I think any group could handle the optional rules pretty quickly. I think they added a lot to the game. But some of these optional rules are fun, and they do mix things up quite a bit. 
uh, almost to the point where any social deduction strategy goes out the window (laughs) because basically the optional rules are just breaking the rules, such as if you get the koala card, everything you say must be a lie. Yeah. And with the one minute timer, it gets tough to actually come up with a strategy surrounding all these different potential options that could pop up. Shouldn't there be a camper and a bear suit? I think they have something like that. (laughs) That really plays into the name well, Baranoia, because the paranoia (laughs) goes up fast when it's like, I think that's the bear even though we can talk. He growled. He's got to be the bear. No, wait. (laughs) This game is billed on its cover as a game of paranoia, vigilante justice, and bears. And just so people know, this game is just 18 cards in a cute little envelope. The cards are adorable. They are cute. And I do like that they titled the cards different people. So you're not just camper. Like one of the campers is improv kid. One of the campers is camp commando. And those names don't mean anything unless you bring in the optional rule, which plays to the character type. Otherwise, you're just a camper and you want to kill the bear. I firmly believe these optional rules should just be the rules. I think this game would work out fine that way. So this game is by Prettiest Princess Games, and I actually know the Prettiest Princess. He goes by the name of Matt Fantastic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) First time I met him, he was at a con, and he was wearing a Snow White costume. At first, I thought with the contrast of the tattoos and the kind of gravelly voice, he was just like wearing his... uh, his Snow White costume to give shock value, draw attention to himself. And while he was definitely trying to draw attention, it only took me like a minute to realize that this guy is genuinely comfortable wearing a pretty princess outfit. <laughs> it like, it, I don't know, it just seemed to work for him. He's a cool guy. He has a little game store in uh, New Haven, Connecticut called Elm City Games. Yeah, it's a great game cafe. You can go there and get to play game too. He's in there all the time with like a bunch of designers and stuff, just brewing up new games. He runs a game design group in New Haven. Oh, yeah. Literally every time I've been up there, they were designing something new. If you ever looked up Matt Fantastic online, he is clearly having a good time at any con he attends. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and if you ever met Matt Fantastic, you know he's having a good time. There is a picture of him holding a bottle of champagne, riding another guy's back who's got a horse head. Yep, that's about right. What game is that? Champagne jousting. Yeah, all right, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Champagne jousting. There you go. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury paranoia. Joe? I'm digging up this game for its courage in tracking down and exploring such hairy issues. Evan? Sounds like a fun party game. I'll hold judgment until I've had a swipe at it. Ed? It's not particularly deep for my taste, but if you're looking for a fun way to spend just a few minutes with a group, then it may be worth digging up. Mike? It's a great icebreaker for people that don't consider themselves gamers, and it's over in a minute, so there's no pressure. Dig it up. I probably won't roar about this game to my friends, but if someone trotted it out, I'd certainly play. Dig it up. Mike, where can you find it? You may be able to find some at your local game store, or you can find it at Prettiest Princess Games website for five bucks. Just in a new note from Prettiest Princess Games, Vile Genius Games just picked this game up, so we may soon see a new release. If you have thoughts about Baranoia, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We would love to hear from you. 
Our next game up this week is Cytosis, a cell biology board game designed by John Coveyu, published by Genius Games in 2017, number of players 2 to 5, ages 10 and up, playtime 60 to 90 minutes. Okay, when we popped open the Petri dish on this one, what were our first thoughts? Mike? I want to be the guy who puts the mite in mitochondria. Evan? Ow, you stepped on mitosis. <laughs> Ed? Designing Dean for science! Joe? This game's got a complex map, or maybe it's a flowchart. I hope it's not that hard to follow. Wow, it is a process-eat-process world in the overworked, multitasking, master administrator that is the human cell. But before we hop on some free ribosomes to get this review flowing, Evan, tell us how it's played. Cytosis, a cell biology game, is a worker placement game that takes place inside a human cell. Players take turns placing workers on available organelles within a human cell in order to collect resources such as carbohydrates, or ATP, or to take actions such as purchasing cell component cards or translating mRNA into proteins. Players use their resources to build enzymes, hormones, and hormone receptors, and also to help detoxify the cell, all of which score health points. The player with the most health points at the end of the game wins. It sounds, uh, yeah. <laughs> sounds a bit, uh, academic. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about this game is it is a fun worker placement game. I was fascinated by the amount of different things that a cell does. A cell actually does quite a bit. That's <laughs> one of the things I, I found amazing about the game, where it has all the different areas of the cell, and it talks about them in, in a very scientific way in, in the rules. But you're just doing a worker placement game I think the most novel part of this game is building the transport vesicles, where you go to one place to put some components on a transport vesicle and then move it to a new area to help build your proteins and steroids, which are your objective to earn points. Wow, this game is on steroids? <laughs> I hear a lot of scientific terms here. How would you say it like, actually teaches the science here? In my case... These types of games, worker placement, Euro games, um, games that are on the more complex side for board games, really require the theme to be engaging for me to be interested so that I can use my imagination to engage me in getting those victory points. So this game does a great job of that. On the worker placement part of the game, you can actually just gamify and say, oh, I'm just trying to build collections of different color cubes to score points. Almost like Lords of Waterdeep. So in this this game does something like that. It names the specific things that the cubes represent. So by osmosis, you're learning a little bit more about the cell. Right. So here, the uh, like the green cubes here are carbs, and the, the yellow cubes are lipids, and the, the red cubes are hmm. proteins. Those are actually good colors for those two. Yeah. yeah, the colors match the type of resource they were, which was great. The game flows very well. It's 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 intuitive in a certain way, even though it does have the terminology of cell biology. But that shouldn't intimidate people from from playing this game or shy away from it, because actually it plays out very nicely. That's really awesome that they found a sort of intuitive way to teach something as complicated as cell biology. Yeah, instead of trying to download a lot of information to you through the game, 
they sort of you know put the things in there and you know show how they you know interact with each other without going through the details of what goes into the Golgi apparatus, you know, or the plasma <laughs> membrane. And it really engenders curiosity, I think, in a significant portion of the scientific newbies who stumble across this game. Right. Mm. And yet, even though it's not heavy with text or anything like that, it teaches you something about what's happening in the location without bogging you down. This is where game designer John Coveyu really does a fantastic job. His background is engineering, actually. He spent time in the U.S. Army and earned a master's degree in engineering, but he's also taught chemistry and physics to students, middle school through college levels. He is an excellent communicator of science through his games, and he's been recognized as such because he, the, his games and his series of educational games like this have been featured in not only schools and educational places, but in publications like the Wall Street Journal, Popular Science, Scientific American, Gizmodo, the National Science Teachers Association. He is really an excellent communicator when it comes to these concepts, and the fact that he's able to put it together all for us in a game to play is just brilliant. I'm glad, I'm glad he's using his efforts and his know-how to go to use this vehicle of game design as the way to teach people. I think we need more people like John. I, I agree. And I think the game is also presented very well, not just in its, uh, in its science, but it looked, looked great. I mean, look at the board, the art on it is amazing. It's very scientific and really brings you into the cell biology. And yet it's a welcoming cartoony style that engaged me and relaxed me at the same time. A lot of times these really smart people who are into science and stuff don't have a sense of style, or at least they're accused of not having a sense of style. Mm -hmm. But it's really cool to hear that this game actually has a really like pared down, intuitive and good looking style going on. And, and the components themselves help bring it in, too. They, you got wooden meeples of flash that are your workers that you're placing. It's pretty cute. And they have the ATP tokens. That looked like the the little uh, the worker parts of the cell that you spend as a resource to get things done. The ATPs are kind of shaped like rockets because they kind of blast off and do things, you know. It really gave you the idea that, okay, that's the piece that gives you momentum. And there's quite a bit of variety in the game because not only are there different goals that change each time you play, but they had it included the virus expansion in the game. Uh-oh. Virus. Uh, do you guys know if they're using this as a teaching tool anywhere or do they like give discounts for schools or anything like that? It, it has been used in, in schools, uh, you know, different levels of education. It is recognized as an excellent teaching game. And for those who really want to learn the science behind it, they include a four page, the science behind the game that goes into more detail about the science of each of the areas of the cell and, and the, the parts that the game models. I know I caught myself checking out the book after uh, I flipped over some of these cards. I'm like, ooh, alcohol detoxification. How does that really work? You know, because I was like, oh, you take these little rockets, you send them down here. Wow, it takes a lot of resources to do this detoxification. I want to make sure I can detoxify all that alcohol I drink. Yeah. <laughs> what I thought you were saying was if you get really drunk during the game, detoxifying would help you to get a better score. <laughs> now, this company has other educational games too, right? Uh, yes, they do. They've designed and published six science-themed games, and they have more on the way.
Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury cytosis. Ed? For even those who don't think science is sexy, it's a great-looking game. It's fun to play, and you get to learn a thing or two. So I'm digging this one up. Joe? Well, it's very eye-opening and a valuable teaching tool, uh, but I do have doubts about the game's replayability, which have unfortunately resulted in my choosing to bury it. Evan? I have a soft spot for science-themed games, as you know. This worker placement game hits all the right notes, and I think it is replayable. There are several paths to victory. Dig it up. Mike? I was waiting for my white blood cells to do their job and sadly missed this one, so I'll have to hold my judgment for now. This game left me impressed with both the many operations of a cell and the flexibility of the mechanics of worker placement games to handle the theme in a fun way. Nice game design. Dig it up. Evan, where can you find it? It's available. Costs about $30 at your favorite online or brick and mortar store. If you have thoughts about cytosis, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our last game up this week is Lords of Vegas, designed by James Ernst and Mike Selinker. Published by Mayfair Games in 2010, number of players 2 to 4, ages 12 and up, playtime 60 to 90 minutes. When Lady Luck brought us this find, what were our first thoughts? Mike? Isn't developing property always a gamble anyway? Evan? Dice, money, cards, game board, Vegas, sensory overload. <laughs> Ed? Casinos and dice. Let's see if I can find a way to beat the odds. Joe. Let's see if I can carve a place and a fortune for myself out of the house that Bugsy built. Turning the building of Vegas into a dice gambling game sounds like a genius way to capture the spirit of the strip. But before we take our chances with this review, Evan, tell us a little bit about the game. In Lords of Vegas, you play rival developers vying for money and prestige by building the biggest and most profitable casinos on the Strip. You start with nothing but parking lots and dreams, but from there you build, sprawl, reorganize, and gamble your way to victory. Lots are built by placing your color die with matching value on the same space inside your chosen casino tile. Adjoining tiles of the same color are considered a single casino. The casino's boss is the player whose die value is higher than any other in the casino. Players can expand their casinos, try to take over casinos owned by other players, make deals, bury bodies in the desert, or gamble in opponents' casinos to make more money. That part about the bodies is not right. Put your dollars on the line. It's time to roll. Gambling in another player's casino might not be the smartest thing to do, but in a game about a city full of gamblers, it fits lost wages like a glove. And actually, sometimes you find yourself like, oh, if I only had two more dollars, I can do this other thing. You know what? I'll go gamble this money at the other person's casino. If I win, I can do the thing I really want to do. Yeah, and that, and that bet is based on a sucker's bet in the casino called the field, which is basically in the uh, casino's favor. So when you go to another casino to gamble for your extra $2 you need, you're more likely to lose the $2 and be even further behind. I rolled two, right? Roll them up. Boom. Five and eight. Oh, okay. I'm very proud for Dan. Thank you for your patronage. You're welcome. It was fun. It was fun. Had a good time. Did you at least get some free drinks? Can I get a comp at least? Yeah, you got a comp. Free room? Free room? Free room for the night. Free room for the night because you ain't got enough money to get home. 
Well, as you know, the house always wins, or at least usually. If you play enough. <laughs> <laughs> True. But I think we actually made that work one time. I think somebody got the two bucks they needed that way. <laughs> yep. Oh, I, I earned a lot of money from people coming to my casino and losing. <laughs> this game is all about taking chances. I mean, it's all about that. You're you're building the strip by taking a shot and rolling dice and hoping the locations you pick are going to be winners. And Ed took his chances a few times. And honestly, I rarely see Ed taking crazy chances like that. And wouldn't you know it, it always worked out for him. <laughs> But there are ways to strategize and try to make luck work in your favor. You know, by having the most dice in the casino, when somebody tries to take it over, you're going to have more chances to stay in control. I wish that helped me. Yeah, I mean, I saw Joe take a bath on that several times. (laughs) This game really is built on chance, though, because if you try to play the conservative way in this game, I really don't see you being able to win. It was odd because when I first saw the board, I was like, wow, I got to focus here if I'm going to have a chance at winning. Uh, But honestly, I sort of did play an incrementally measured game and it didn't do anything good for me. This game encourages chance taking, and I think you're right, Mike, requires it. It does. There are ways to strategize and lock down property, though, because you can get into a place where you make the property too expensive for other people to try to take over, to make them go over less expensive chances for victory. Right. You want to look for the low-hanging fruit in general, but sometimes you need to just go for it, even if you have less dice or whatever, because the swing is huge in this game. Because if you take over the casino by having the highest number in it, you're getting all the victory points. And when it's a big casino, that's a lot of victory points to try to catch up to. Now, now, Mike, you're known for going for the epic win whenever the opportunity <laughs> arrives or arises. Did you do it again here? I tried. (laughs) (laughs) That's all that counts. I don't care if you failed. I just want to know that you tried. (laughs) Yeah, Lady Luck was not on my side there. Um, I did go for it, and I actually made the roll I was looking for, but one turn later, Ed made a a similarly lucky roll and turned the tables just in time for that casino card to flip and for him to get all the victory points. Oh, Ed. flipped right down. There was also one other time, because you you can actually build casinos on places you don't own. Yeah, the sprawl. But if somebody else pulls the card for that lot, they get it for free. That also happened to me. (laughs) I sprawled out, and there was only a couple cards left to be drawn in the game. Yeah, he sprawled out on a property he didn't own, and it came up for me, and then I ended up getting that lucky die. Yeah. (laughs) I can't really rely on luck in a game like this. Conceptually, I like that. That is that is kind of a baller move. Like, I'm just going to build here. I don't care if the title's not quite locked down yet. I'm going to start digging. (laughs) That's exactly what I did. Like, nobody's going to notice that I sprawled out into this little extra lot nobody's using. Oh, somebody noticed just at the right time. The Vegas Strip goes right down the middle of this board, and the look of it is kind of cool. It all it is lit up, and the board gets progressively darker the farther away from the strip you get. And the casinos right along the strip are better values, meaning sure. you're going to make more off of them. You're going to get higher dice to start with and all that. They also cost more, too. Yeah, they are a well, little bit more expensive, but boy, I think they're seriously worth it. Well, that's because there's a uh, payoffs that come when you flip a certain color casino. Um, but then there's also generic payoffs for the whole strip. So if you own a casino on the strip, you can get hit with the regular casino card and the strip card. So you have the potential to make more money. 
But part of the risk is that not all the cards for all the casinos are going to be revealed. So you can have an idea of what's still left in the deck, but you may never see some of the cards you're looking for. All right. Okay. You may spend $3 million to re-roll that die. Yeah, maybe I will. Quattro. That's better. Now you now when it pays off. Yeah, it only has to pay three times for you to make up that money. Exactly. <laughs> and it barely will. So good job. I've always been intrigued by games, especially those set in, you know, somewhat modern times, you know, like like at least the 20th century where you're chasing both victory points and money simultaneously, you know, for different reasons where they where they uh, perform two different functions. I like that aspect of this game where in a lot of Euro games, money are victory points, so you feel like you're spending victory points to do things. Yeah. But in this case, they're totally separate. You're spending money, and money, well, you need money to do anything in this game, but they're not in and of themselves victory points. And, if, and there is a point on the victory point track where you need to be making more victory points there then. It's not enough to get one victory point. You need to make two. Oh, no. It's not enough to make two. You need to make three victory points to advance. So it's kind of interesting how eventually moving up the track, you, you know, you can't be the little guy. You have to be the big guy to get the big bucks. It works well for the mechanics, but I found it a little discouraging. You know, I was running behind the whole game and the idea of catching up became more daunting as you advanced because it's like, oh no, now I can't even go one step at a time. I got to go two steps and I'm barely scraping by with one step. It was kind of a bummer, but it also really did force you to make big moves on the board, even if you were behind or especially if you were behind. And she did. I remember Celeste uh, getting a couple of big casinos right at that moment and then she started moving up four bucks at a time and now it's like ooh, now she's catching up yep you now me and mikey were duking it out but you're definitely coming in a very close third at that point no i think what happened honestly was that i played too conservatively at the beginning this game does not encourage that so get out there and build I think I would have done what Mikey did, give it another chance, which is... Take over and whole casino, even though I was behind on dice. Yeah. My favorite part of this game was the taking over a casino mechanic. Essentially, think of it as like, I got a few rooms of this casino. You own a few rooms. I'm going to try and take over the whole casino. You're in charge now. But you know what? If I roll my three dice against your four dice, maybe I'll, mine will come up better and I'll win. It was a baller move, <laughs> which I think that's what <laughs> Vegas is all about. Yeah, and the way to take over the casino is actually you take all the dice that are on the casino, whatever number they're at at the time, and you roll them. And the highest dice, if they tie, you re-roll those dice. So actually, they could become lower. But you have to pay for all the dice to the casino to roll it. So if you build a bigger casino and you got three sixes sitting in there, it's going to cost you 18 million bucks to re-roll that baby. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to. <laughs> uh, well, there goes your choice. <laughs> I mean, you could lose. You could choose to lose the game, or you could choose to give it a shot. And be uh, I suppose that's a choice, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I choose to lose. That's, I the, give up. that's the That's the follow-up game. I'm walking out with my pride. <laughs> yeah, it's called the Leaving Las Vegas expansion set. <laughs> <laughs> Who can lose the most gracefully? No, I, there's nothing graceful about oh, losing God. to Vegas. No. <laughs> that's true. Uh. <laughs> yeah. The first casino to be built on Highway 91 was the Paradise Club in 1931. Oh, like Pair-O-Dice Club. Oh. <laughs> ah, get it? Clever. Vegas embraced its cheesy beginnings and never let them go, right? <laughs> never looked back. 
But the first resort on what is currently the Strip was the El Rancho Vegas, opening on April 3rd, 1941, with 63 rooms. That casino resort stood for almost 20 years before being destroyed by a fire in 1960. Its success spawned a second hotel on what will become the Strip, the Hotel Last Frontier, in 1942. Organized crime figures such as New York's Bugsy Siegel took interest in the growing gaming center leading to other resorts, such as the Flamingo, opening in 1946, and the Desert Inn, which opened in 1950. Oh, so the the mob got in a little bit later, yeah. in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What are you saying, Celeste? You're saying the mob is involved in Las Vegas? <laughs> they smelt money, or at least a way to launder money. Yeah, they're like, hey. hey. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there. of money changing hands down there. Why is it not coming through our hands? 1941 with 63 rooms in the middle of the desert. That does seem like a... It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's <laughs> see if it pays off. <laughs> Getting water to people in California is a problem today. It's a real challenge today with the technology that we have. In 1931, it must have been a nightmare. Yeah, and plus it wasn't just water. They had to get champagne out there. I know every time I went to Vegas, I was always impressed at how the the airport was right next to the strip. Of course. They're flying you in for free so you can gamble your butt off. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Lords of Vegas. Joe? I really do like this game. It's that simple. Dig her up. Evan? This game sounds like it has a lot of reasons for me to play. I can't dig it up or bury it yet, but I look forward to playing soon. Mike? The dice and the luck of the cards were not in my favor, but I had a really good time playing this, so I will dig it up. Ed? It often comes down to which card comes out for you and the fickle will of dice, but there are plenty of chances to plan and match with your opponent, forcing to roll off, hopefully in your favor, so I'll dig it up for when the night on the strip is needed. Despite the complex layout of the board and cards, it is a breeze of a competitive luck game. Dig it up. Ed, where can you find this game? Lords of Vegas retail for about 45 bucks. This game is currently out of print, but you can find copies at some stores and at secondhand shops. If you have thoughts about Lords of Vegas, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including our brand new podcast, The Post Show, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. And if you get a chance, please leave us a rating or a review anywhere online. It really helps us grow. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are at Which Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Happy gaming, explorers! Here's a tip. Bet it all on 13 Black. Oh, I'm going to bet on red. This way, at least one of us makes money. Playing the field is a sucker's bet. Never forget that. From LACurb.com, January 2011. Police followed footprints to a linen closet and found a trap door leading to the attic. Bugsy Siegel was in his pajamas, giggling. The gangster coolly informed his captors that he'd fled because he thought it was somebody else. <laughs>